So here we are, um, the gifts of the Spirit today, and I am going to lead us off with 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. Um, and the reason I did this is there's a couple of passages you could probably choose. 1 Corinthians 12 is one of them. Romans 12 is another. Ephesians 4 is another. But I think um, it is so hard in one sermon uh, to get across the gifts of the spirits. So that's why I picked this particular passage. Are we good? Yep. Took some tinniness out. That was good. Thank you. Um, so I want to start here in uh, 1 Peter 4. But let me just give you a, a couple little back points on uh, the epistle of Peter. Um, so it, it's really a warm letter. It's full of encouragement. Um, it, it's really written to Christians who were scattered all around northern Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, and the primary purpose is to encourage and exhort believers to live for God in the context of a society ignorant of the true God. Sounds a little bit more and more like America, doesn't it? I actually ran into a friend, an older uh, gentleman, and the other day, and he was just um, sort of going, Michael, we're, we're turning from God as a nation. He was really distraught. He was like, aren't you distraught? I said, you know, what's amazing is when a nation turns from God, there's a fabulous opportunity for awakening among the believers and among non-believers for us to turn back to God. So am I distraught? Absolutely not. Am I thrilled with anticipation? Absolutely. And do I believe God has called us as a body of believers to become more galvanized, more bold in sharing the love of Christ Jesus? Yes, I do. And that is really what's happening here in Peter's Epistle. He's really also calling believers to see their temporary suffering in the light of the coming eternal glory. Suffering's a hard concept, but he really gets it across. So we're just looking at one little passage here, 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, and it says, the end of the world um, is coming soon. This is a lot. You may not be able to read it all the way in the back. Maybe you can. Um, but this is interesting. And then he says, therefore, uh, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Now, let me just make a little uh, a note here. This isn't the point of the message, but I think it's worth saying. If we flipped back a few books in the Bible, Peter's hanging out at a garden. Do you remember that? And somebody, King Jesus, came to him not once, not twice, but three times and asked him, do you remember to do what? Pray. Pray with him. And what happened every time? He went to sleep. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, I'm right there with him. So there's no, there's no judgment. But it's really interesting that he's starting this little passage because he's saying, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And you can almost read through that and go, wow, this is coming from a guy who wasn't. He's coming from someone who's been exhorted by Christ Jesus to be earnest and to be disciplined because he wasn't. And then he goes on to say, most important of all, continue to show deep Love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. I love that. I love that passage. If there's a way that we're salt in the city, if there's a way that we're salt and light, it is through love. It is not ugliness. It is not beating people up. It is sharing the love of God, the love of Christ. <clears throat> Verse 9, cheerfully share your home with those... <laughs> All of a sudden I went, am I in the right spot here? <clears throat> Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given, here it is, each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And that's really sort of the crux of what I'm getting at. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Are you in each of you? Come on. Are we in each of you? Yeah, yeah. Each of us. Each of us have a spiritual gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do I have one more verse? 
Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Christ Jesus. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. I love that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you open your word to us today? Father, would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds? Would you bring revelation to us? Holy Spirit, we even authorize you to convict to churn up our hearts, to spur us onward in the faith, to dig us deeper into our relationship with you. Father, more than anything, what we want coming out of these times is not more religion or more hoops to jump through, but hearts that are more surrendered and relationships that are more real. In your great name we pray. Amen. Now, today is what? St. Patrick's Day. Oh, my goodness. I really wish I would have asked Jen if I could have worn those tights because they are amazing. (laughs) Although I think they look better on her than me. We'd really be laughing, right, if I was rocking those things. Now, the reason I even point that out is because I love the story of St. Patrick. I want to give you a little background on him. We're going to tie it back to uh, the giftings that God has given each of us. So uh, Patrick was a real man. He was born in Britain. Uh, He lived in the 5th, he was probably born in the late 4th century, he lived in the 5th century in Britain and in Ireland. Now, he's the patron saint of of Ireland. You may not know that. Um, he is also probably should be called the national apostle of the entire country of Ireland. He's probably responsible in part for the Christianization of the Picts, the Scottish peoples, and the Anglo-Saxons, the Germanic peoples, in addition to Ireland. He is known for two short works, the Confessio, or the Confessions, and a, a, which is a spiritual autobiography, and then his letter to a guy named Caracaticus. Uh, And uh, that was sort of denouncing British mistreatment of Christians. Now, he was from Britain. When he was 15 years old, he was kidnapped by a band of Irish raiders. Literally, he's playing on the shore as a 15-year-old kid. History has it. And he's kidnapped by a band of Irish sort of almost pirates. And um, his family was a, was a devout Christian family. But he's, he's, taken, he's taken back to Ireland, and he's forced to work as a slave tending sheep. Tending flocks. And he finds himself, and he actually writes in his autobiography that he was not a believer when he was kidnapped. He did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as a 15-year-old. This is actually a quote. He said, The Lord opened my senses to my unbelief so that though late in the day I might remember my many sins, and accordingly I might turn to the Lord my God with all my heart. He also wrote about how his faith in God grew as he prayed and as he shepherded a bunch of sheep. Who's that sound like in the Old Testament, right? King David. I mean, throughout the scriptures, we have this concept of shepherding, which is just beautiful, a reflection of really God. So God grow, grows him as he's shepherding the flocks. And then he actually said, um, but after, this is also a quote from the book, but after I had come to Ireland, it was then that I was made to shepherd the flocks day after day, And as I did, I would pray all the time, right through the day, more and more, and the love of God and the fear of him grew strong within me as my faith grew, so my spirit became more active. In snow and frost and rain, I would hardly notice my discomfort. I was never slack, but always full of energy. It is clear to me now that that was due to the Holy Spirit within me. At age 22, he escaped and went back to Britain. It took him two years to get back. It's not a very long journey, but it took him a long time. And he was welcomed back by his family, mom and dad. And then he starts the journey to become a priest and a bishop. 
Fascinating, though. Here it is. He has a dream. While he's en route to becoming a bishop or a priest, this is St. Patrick, remember, has a dream, and someone in the dream brings him a letter titled Voice of the Irish, and as he read the letter in the dream, it seems he heard a group of Irishmen asking him to return to Ireland to walk once more among them. Really fascinating. He writes that he was deeply moved, and then he wakes up. It actually reminds me of Acts 16.9. I don't know if you remember that, but it's a fascinating passage where um, Paul has a dream, and he's called by the Macedonians to go into Macedonia and share the gospel there. Beautiful, beautiful passage. Nonetheless, he had shortcomings in education. Do you have any shortcomings? Maybe not in education, but are you aware of your shortcomings? Are you like me? I mean, come on. There's not a day that goes by that I'm like... Your, your shortcomings are just highlighted in your mind. So Patrick, not St. Patrick at the time, had all these shortcomings in his education. And he did not want to go back to Ireland because he felt like he wasn't equipped. Lord, I'm not ready. He argued with God. I'm not ready. I don't, have it. I don't know enough. I don't have enough experience. I'm not ready to be released to minister the gospel. And he resisted and he resisted. But once he finally went... He journeyed far and wide all over Ireland, baptizing, preaching the gospel, teaching people to read and write. I mean, he really went through the entire country. He faced persecution, capture, prison, poisoning multiple times, and almost died on multiple occasions. So this day is actually the day that St. Patrick died. Now, how did we get from this patron saint, St. Patrick, Patrick, to celebrating with colors of green and green beer and parades and blah, 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 you fill in the blank. Is that, uh, the Britannica Encyclopedia attributes that to us Americans. <laughs> definitely. Our, our uh, British uh, couple here says definitely. Now, you know, I thought this was interesting, too, and this is, um, th- this is legend. I don't know if this is true or not, but the shamrock... It has actually said, you have some shamrock on your, on your pants, I think, but it actually says that, uh, and again, this is legend, I don't know that it's historical, but it says he would take the shamrock, St. Patrick, and he would actually use it to teach about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three coming out of one stem. Kind of cool. That's, where, that, that's what it, it says, where it came from. He's likened to St. Augustine of Hippo because of his deep and the way he bared his soul in his writings. <clears throat> and I think if I could nail it in one sentence, what I would probably say about this guy that is fascinating to me, and here's how it ties into us today, is we see a guy named Patrick, a regular man, a relatively uneducated man, a man who felt ill-equipped for the calling, and yet this man embraced his spiritual gifts. He walked fully in them, he trusted his Jesus, and he changed a nation. I think I have that one, Grant. <clears throat> That's really the essence, I think, of the sermon. That's the essence of even what we're doing as we talk about spiritual gifts. There's a quote by a guy named Richard Ellsworth Day that I like. Actually, I love it. I'm going to read it to you word for word. It would be of no surprise if a study of secret causes were undertaken to find that every golden era of human history proceeded from the righteous devotion and righteous passion of one individual. Wow, that's a strong statement, isn't it? This does not set aside the sovereignty of God. It simply indicates the instruments through which he uniformly works. There are no really bona fide mass movements. It may look that way, but at the center column, there is always one man or woman who knows his God and knows where his God is going. Love that. 
love that. So as we reflect on St. Patrick, as we reflect on St. Patrick's Day, and as more importantly, as we reflect on spiritual gifts, man, what an illustration. Someone who chose to trust God, chose to embrace his spiritual gifts, and chose to go back to his place of captivity. Can I say that? Remember, this would have been a place of massive suffering. He was kidnapped at 15. That's terrible, right? He was probably hurt, abused, forced into manual labor. Now, one of the things I think that's it's not even a central point of the message, but I think it's very, very important, is if you will bring God your areas of greatest hurt and greatest pain and greatest suffering, he will often flip those and use them for greatest glory. The things where we have the most trials, the most suffering, the most difficulty, if they're surrendered to him, he can take those and use them for his glory. The day I met Abby, she looked at me, my dear wife, Abby. She looked at me and said, you know what? I believe in a God who can take something broken and make it beautiful. I was in a very low, broken spot in my life. I was blown away. She didn't even know I was a believer that she would say that to me. But that's the story of the gospel, when we bring him our lives. So I think point number one here this morning is spiritual gifts are for everyone. We just read it in uh, 1 Peter 7, but spiritual gifts are for everyone. They're not for the few, they're for everyone, and they really uh, should be used to strengthen others. You know, I think one of the most valuable parts or one of the most powerful parts of the Christian life is when you access your spiritual gifting and you begin to use it to bless those around you, right? That's when you really begin to take on purpose and meaning yourself. It's when you really begin to start encourage other people and, and find life, find out who you are and walk in it. Romans 12.9 says, For the gifts of God and the call of God can never be withdrawn. Do I have that one, Grant? I may not. I don't think I do. The gifts of God and the call of God can never be withdrawn. Now, that's an interesting one because we're talking about spiritual gifts, and I think it'd be really important to say, you know, we see um, pastors and leaders who fall or fail morally, don't we? We even see leaders in all, all aspects who fall or fail morally. And this verse is fascinating to me because it says, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. When God gives gifts, God gives gifts. He gives those spiritual gifts to his people. So you'd ask then, how can a pastor... Um, who's doing this behind the scenes, still function in a gift. There it is. God's given the gift. Just because they lack congruence in their inner and outer life does not mean that their gift can't continue to operate. So one of, I think, the hardest things uh, for even us as people is to go, Lord, would you make us inner and outer um, sort of congruent? You know, how we can put masks on, we can hide behind things, we can be dishonest with what's really going on in our life. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. Right? But God's called every single one of us to have spiritual gifts. The second thing I think I'd say today is spiritual gifts are for strengthening our brothers and sisters in the faith. We are recipients of the great grace of Jesus, aren't we? And as recipients of that grace, it becomes really our calling, our duty out of obedience to disperse that grace for others. And the vehicle by which we disperse the grace is our spiritual gifts. It's the vehicle by which we share the call of God, the grace of God. They are the abilities which we have received and we can then share. In, first, or in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, probably one of the big uh, downfalls of the American church is we tend to think there's one or two people who get to exercise their gifts, and the rest of us just sit there and watch. Amen. Amen. (laughs) What this verse says is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, one of my favorite um, leaders in the Wilmington area was a guy named Horace Hilton, and he came to the city in the late 70s, and he planted a church that just boomed. And their whole slogan was to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I love that, because he carried from the very beginning that this isn't my church. You know, you hear pastors go, my church, my thing, my... If you ever hear me say that, you guys have permission to haul me out by the ear, okay? (laughs) This is God's church. This is the kingdom of God. This is, we are just here for a short time passing through. Our life is but a mist. And praise God, there's churches up and down the streets of Wilmington. May God do something so unusual. In fact, may we be churches like St. Patrick led. May we become a group that actually affects a city and a region and a nation. He went by himself. Can I just say that? St. Patrick went by himself back to Ireland, and all he did was believe God. It sounds like Abraham, doesn't it? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This isn't anyone's show. This is where we come together, and we are collectively equipped and empowered for the work of ministry. The third thing I'd tell you today is, and this is, a, this is hard, I think, to wrestle with. But, you know, I've, I've interfaced with a number of different Christians. And I've had Christians come to me and go, Michael, we all need to take a, you know, spiritual gift test. We all need to know what our spiritual gifts are. We all need to figure out. That's all true. But you know what I think the bigger problem is? As Christians, we have got to reach the point where we want God to use us to edify and encourage our brothers and sisters. My third point is the problem is not that people don't know their spiritual gifts, but rather we lack the desire to build up other people's lives and strengthen other people's faith. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? You know, human nature, sort of, so I'm going to say unredeemed, if Christ isn't living in you, human nature tends towards jealousy, gossip, ugly talk, slander, backbiting. At least mine does. So the problem is, you know, how do we actually get to the point where we have this desire, where we allow the Lord to write this desire on our hearts that we get up and we want to be a part of strengthening and encouraging other people? You know, if you're following along in the one-year Bible, which if you don't have one, there's one on this table on the way out. I'd encourage you to grab one. But we've been reading um, really Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and we see again and again and again that these Israelites drift away from God He does something amazing, and then they grumble, they get angry, they get disappointed, they rail against Moses and Aaron or Miriam, and then God brings some sort of discipline, and they repent. But I see, I think the problem here is they didn't carry, and I think we're just like them. It's hard to be a person that consistently builds others up. It's hard to be a person that consistently encourages. It's hard to be a person that... uh, can sacrifice and look past your own needs and really encourage someone else. You know, there's a guy that I've been listening to here recently. He's a um, 
another British minister. Clive actually put, him, put me on to him, but his name's David Paulson. And he wrote a book called The Normal Christian Birth. And he's talking about sort of the three or four things that characterize what it means to be a Christian. And one of the things he does is he actually um, is critical of, of, of churches who um, sort of become a, um, a system that get people in the door, get them to pray a prayer, and then act like that's the end of the story. Because this is actually a life. It's a life where you come to God and you surrender it, you give him your old self, and the life of Jesus comes in and he lives in you. Amen. So what Paulson would actually say is he would go, you know what, you've got to repent. We don't even like that word in America anymore, do we? And, and to be honest, I would actually say churches have made it a terrible word because we've used it to like hit people over the head with, haven't we? I mean, we really have. And, and yet, biblically, what that word actually means is simply coming to Jesus and going, Lord, I'm wrong, and you're right. Your scriptures are right. Your way is right. Would you forgive me? Lord, I repent. Lord, I turn. I turn in a line with you. In our house, we'd call that, just even um, on a human level, we'd call that asking forgiveness. That's something we practice with our kids all the time. When somebody's ugly to somebody else, hey, you don't get to do that. You don't get to run somebody over. You don't get to be nasty. You don't get to be mean. So, you know, once some time has passed, we'll help our kids come back and go, hey, will you forgive me? That's a human, human now talking. With God, it's repentance. With humans, it's will you forgive me? I've modeled that as a dad with my kids. I've modeled that with my wife. That is what I want our family to be built on because not one of us is perfect. And when we are able to truly go to the Lord and go, Lord, I repent, I turn, and I align myself with you. Paulson would go on to say, after repent, he would say, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus. We're pretty good at those things. He'd go on to say, be baptized. And then he would go on to say, be filled with the Spirit. And that's coming right out of those four things. Repent, believe, be baptized, be filled with the Spirit. That's coming right out of the book of Acts. We could go through passage after passage after passage after passage, and all the believers who come to faith in Christ Jesus, repent, believe, be baptized, be filled. And a lot of us, especially in America, we try to live with one little part of that, don't we? We want to just lead people through this little aspect and then go on and live your life and have it. That's not what the gospel really is about. The gospel is about Jesus transforming your life today, tomorrow, and forever. People come to me sometimes and go, Michael, when were you saved? And I go, well, I probably gave my life to Jesus when I was four because I was raised in a Christian home, but I was saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved because it's about the process. It is about this, this journey with the Lord. It is about the, the daily sort of surrender and taking up the cross of Christ Jesus, allowing Jesus to live his life in us and through us. And, and the risk is that we minimize it to a point in time and to a prayer. So again, back to my third point, the problem is that we lack the desire to build other people's lives and strengthen other people's faith. How do you get that? Like it is a good thing to actually come to the point and you know, go, you know what, I am largely self-centered. That's a good thing because we all are. If you're not married in the room, all you have to do is get married and you will find out that you are <laughs> largely self-centered, right? I mean, really. I know younger uh, gals and younger guys, I can't wait to get married. And I'm like, well, learn to be happy where you are 
because it doesn't get better with marriage. Marriage, actually, if you're not happy by yourself and in yourself, and if you can't walk this thing out, life, then being married is not the answer. It is not the end all. Marriage is two selfish people coming together in Christ Jesus who can lay it all down and learn to do life with one another. It's hard, though. And if you can't admit that it's hard, but when you're willing to do the hard work, when you're willing to go, I have to do this regularly. Lord, I lack the desire. Lord, I see this thing in the way I'm parenting my kids that I don't like. Would you forgive me? Lord, I see this thing in the way I'm responding or, or leading or loving or whatever it is, my wife, that I don't like. Would you forgive me? Would you actually write on my heart new desire? Because Michael is still being saved. I've been saved. I'm being saved, and I'm going to be saved. It's a process. It's a journey. It is not a destination or a point in time. So here's what I actually think. The basic challenge is to become a believer who gets up in the morning and who goes, Lord Jesus, would you use me today to encourage someone, to love on someone, maybe even to exhort someone, to demonstrate the promises of God, to call someone closer to your spirit, to love on someone well. That's the challenge. And if you're like me, when your eyes flitter open in the morning, what are the first few things that usually run through our brain? Coffee? Ah, I'm just like that. Come on, stumble down to the coffee maker. Good morning, Jesus. Oh. But then we start looking at calendars, and we start looking at our to-do list, and what do I have to do today, and all of a sudden you're 30 minutes or an hour into your day, and it's God who? Jesus who? Holy Spirit who? The challenge is sort of waking up and going, Lord, engaging with him relationally. Good morning, Lord Jesus. It's a novel thought, isn't it? This is a relationship, though. The gospel, the Bible, is about a relationship with King Jesus and his people. Abby put this, um, it's a Roosevelt quote, and I love it. I, don't, I, I can't even say it, but it, it has to do with um, the guy who gets down in the dust. I'm going to totally botch it. I wasn't going to share this today. <laughs> Look at Matt laughing at me. Do you know it? You know it. Um, anyway, she got me this, this uh, picture, and I actually hung it on the wall, and I tend to sleep on my left shoulder, and when I wake up, I see that, and it's a reminder to me to get up and live courageously, love lavishly, surrender it all to Jesus, and to leave it all on the table every day. I want to leave it all on the table. Every day, I want to go, Lord, I don't want to be the guy that lacks the desire to build up people's lives, but rather, I want to spend my days going, how can I love on encourage and desire to build up those around me? How can I challenge those around me? How can I edify those around me? How can I walk in my spiritual gifts in such a way that people around me are encouraged? And the fourth thing that I think I'd say to you this morning is the secret to discovering your spiritual gifts is not a spiritual gifts test. Those aren't bad. I mean, they're, they're fine. But the secret is to get into community and live there. Because it's in community where what you don't have becomes evident. What you do have becomes evident. 
where your weaknesses come out, where your strengths get shown, where the areas that you need to grow are demonstrated, where the spots where you need to deepen your love for the Lord or other people are stretched. It's in the context of community that those desires that he's planted on your heart can come out and your gifts will rise to the top. My grandmother on my mom's side uh, was born at the very end of, I was like 1898 or something. She just passed away. And um, they lived on a farm where they would actually milk cows. Believe that? And we don't even see that anymore, right? All our meat's under cellophane, all our milk's in jugs. I mean, there's very few people who've ever actually milked a cow uh, gotten the milk, churned it, separated the cream from the milk, and, you know, the whole process, made, even made butter. She'd do all that. And I remember her telling me about how the cream uh, would float to the top, and they could scoop it off. And it's like that as we get ourselves into community and live there. Your spiritual gifts will come to the top. So do I think the most important thing is to identify your spiritual gifts by taking a spiritual gift test? No! I think the most important thing is that you get in community and you live there, that you talk to people, that you encourage people, that you're even able to say, hey, that hurt me when? Have you ever done that? Hey, will you forgive me for? That's community. That's authenticity. That's the gritty life-on-life discipleship that the gospel requires. That is what life in Christ is about. It's not even about you being perfect or me being perfect. Can I say that? It's about the Lord Jesus living in us and through us. It's about the day-to-day. It's about the grind. It's about the, the, the rubbing of life on us. And the Lord Jesus calling us deeper and wider and broader. If you have an idea of what your spiritual gifts might be, here's a thought. I would say find somebody who's walking in them well and see if they'll meet with you once in a while. If you're older sitting here, you may want to look around and go, is there someone younger who I think could have a gift like I have? And guess what I'd say to do? Go have lunch with them. Not just once. Maybe once a month. You know, we, we, we live in a culture right now that is um, disintegrated on all sorts of levels. We could talk about politics. We could talk about skin color. We could talk about, but let's talk about age for a second. We are disintegrated on age. In other words, you go to most churches in this city, and it's like, oh, you're a young church. Oh, you're a old church. Oh, you're a, Right? What we and what I believe God has even called us to be is a church that is actually integrated. Now, I could go through a list like this long of people that I have had over the last 10 years of my life who have mentored and discipled me because they have a gift. Somewhere up there, the secret to discovering your spiritual gift. They have a spiritual gift that resonates with me, and I'm like, rub off on me. Help me. I had a guy who was a CEO. He just passed away eight or nine Eight or nine years ago, but I used to meet with him, loved him. His name was Jim Saban. I'd go sit with Jim Saban. Just say, help me, help me. I, I, I have some things that remind me of you, help me. And he would talk to me. I had a spot in my life where I needed um, financial help, not, not personal finances, but um, corporate finances, you know, church finances, business finances, leadership finances. And I went and sat with a guy who was a financial controller. Help me. 
But there's this disintegration in our lives. And if you're older here, and a lot of our crowd at this moment is, be looking for someone who's younger or someones that you could actually pour into and say, hey, rise up, encourage them, love on them, impart something to them. You know what? Can I give you a little secret if you're older? I think most of you probably think that the younger people don't care, but they're just too scared and intimidated to ask. Can I say that? If you will cross the divide and say, hey, you want to grab lunch? Nine times out of ten, you're going to get a yes. And some of you might go, well, the younger people should cross the divide. That's true, they should. Some of you would say, well, the older people should cross. That's, that's right, they should. <laughs> we can talk about white and black, too, couldn't we? Talk about Democrat and Republican, couldn't we? And there's a lot of things that we could talk about. In this context, though, I think God is calling us as a people to be a group who is actively not only walking in our gifts, but going, you know what? Perry leads worship. I've been leading worship. I'm going to go over there and hang out with Perry and help him lead worship. I'm going to encourage him. See what I'm saying? It's simple. But I think a, just a rhetorical question that I'd ask of you today is if you're a believer, if you're in Christ, if you're walking at a level of maturity, whatever that means for you, is there someone or someones that you're investing into? Rhetorical question. If the answer is no, I'd say reach out and find someone. Or someones, plural. Because that's the gospel. And as you get into community, that is when your gifts come out. That is when you're even able to encourage and love on people. I actually would go so far as to say it's dangerous or can at least be detrimental if you try to label your gift before you use it. You get all sorts of young people saying, I'm this and I'm that. And I'm like, I don't care. Go walk in it. Like, show me. Remember that movie? The guy, what was Tom, Tom Cruise? Show me the money. I'm like, show me your gifts. You know, walk them out. I don't care what the label is. St. Patrick would have never said, I'm the apostle to all of Ireland. Never, ever. But he did it. Like, he lived it. Like, he walked it out. He was out there doing it, teaching people to read and write. Come on. Launching churches, uh, sharing Christ, baptizing people. He's actually doing the stuff that most of us sit around, me included, and talk about. I'm going to embarrass a friend of mine here, but I'm just going to have to embarrass him. He can elbow me later. Judge Corpening back here directs traffic um, in front of Hoggard uh, Monday through Friday. So he shows up at like 7.55, and he's been doing it for like 24 or 25 years. Let me say that again. He's been doing it for 24 or 25 years. And I've been showing up one day a week with him. Measly one day a week. You laughed at me, didn't you, Wayne? <laughs> you should laugh at me. But I'm watching him, and what he's doing is as kids are crossing this street, he's, hi, how you doing? Know some of them by name. Just loving on people. I'm like, man, this is the good stuff. Why don't we do more of that? Can you come direct traffic with him? I don't know. Maybe you should ask. I mean, really. Maybe you should ask. There's schools all around this place, and I've been amazed. I show up one or two days a week. I committed to do it for one semester and just go, Lord, I'm just going to stick my little big toe in the pond and see what happens. 
And I show up, and I'm, I'm standing here the other day, and this girl uh, gets out of her car, and she's like, oh. And I thought, oh, gosh, what have I done? She's, and then she points at me. And I'm like, and she said, power camp. Some of you all know, some of you don't know, but Abby and I, uh, for the last eight or nine years, led a camp in the city called Power Camp. And we'd have 1,200 kids come through a summer, and we'd have 70 or 80 staff members. It was some amazing experience. But she's like, power camp. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, tell me your name. So we're there talking, and I said, we've got a church in the cafeteria at your school. She's like, really? That is so cool. I was like, yeah, come check us out sometime. But here's the deal. It's just putting boots on the ground with real, real people. Like, we get all high and mighty in our churches and in our stuff, and we get all religious. Can I say I love that we're not in a church building? I love, I'm not against steeples. The original reason steeples were put in place was amazing. I love the steeple, but I'm glad we don't have one over us right now because it makes us a little gritty, and it makes us a little raw, and it makes our chairs a little bit uncomfortable. But it also creates space and a place in our hearts and in our minds where we can be real and we can begin to interact with people and we can love on people in authentic ways. Steve and Cynthia, who are also my parents, but he's one of the elders here at the church, uh, they're on vacation today. <clears throat> but one of my favorite parts of his ministry was a ministry that nobody even knew. He had a dozen guys that he met with every Friday morning for years and years and years. Nobody even knew it. Guy's been a pastor in the city for 40 years, senior pastor at three different spots. Those 12 guys, they're all in ministry. A couple different continents. They're all preaching the gospel. They all have beautiful families. They're all living great lives. What am I saying? I'm saying that when you take the risk to get in community, your spiritual gifts rise to the top. I'm also calling you and sort of challenging you to go, can you reach beyond yourself? Can we as a community, we as a little tiny church, reach beyond ourselves and even look around and go, who's got a gift that's similar to mine and who can I encourage? And what if we were actually a group of people that woke up in the morning and didn't go, am I, a, am I an apostle or a prophet or am I supposed to, oh, I don't even care. What if we actually woke up in the morning and we went, how can I love on and encourage the body of Christ today? And is there someone around, even look around, is there someone around that the Holy Spirit might even be highlighting and going, you know what, reach out, have a meal. Ask them to help you. Ask them to encourage you. I wasn't going to share this, but I am just because I'm a little gritty. Abby and I just pressed pause on a business we've done for a number of years. Abby's done it. I've just supported her called Courtyards and Cobblestones. We put out a two or three minute little movie on social media and um, it was a sacrifice, and there's a, there's a financial cost to it. And we actually called Jack and Terry sitting right here. They've got a, just real wisdom in the area of finances. And I called them and said, hey, can we put everything on the table, and will you just help us? Like, will you just help us? Because I'm 38, but I don't know what I don't know. Like, will you just, you know, what do you see? I've never had anybody do that with our finances. Like, this is what we give, and this is what we try. We're not very good at saving. We'd like to be better, and this is what we live on, and blah, 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 blah. We just put everything on the table. So will you help us? Why am I telling you that? Because I would suspect that there's someone in your life that God may want you to reach out to and ask for help. And there's also probably someone in your life that God would encourage you to reach out and say, hey, can I help you? And there's this beautiful thing in the kingdom where we're simultaneously being helped and encouraged and we're reaching out and helping and encouraging. And that suddenly 
becomes the body of Christ in action. That is when we as believers are walking in our spiritual gifts. I don't want to be here in 10 or 20 years not having impacted the city. I don't care if it's big or small or anything in between, but I want to be a part of a gritty community, a real group of people who is reaching out beyond themselves, impacting the, the community around them. I love St. Patrick's Day. I love St. Patrick's Day because he so impacted a nation. One guy who was scared to death. I don't, I'm not educated enough. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I can't preach good. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he got on that boat and he crossed the channel and he shared Jesus with a nation. And the nation, somebody actually just sent me, Matt Ham just sent me an article on a revival that's breaking out in Ireland now. And I looked back and went, where'd that start? St. Patrick. When God finds a man or a woman who's willing to go, you know what, I will lay it all down to follow you. There is no end to what he can do in us and through us. And when he finds a little community who's willing to do that, we can leave a mark on a city. We can leave this place in 10, 20, 30, however many years till we depart for eternity, and we will all depart. But we can leave this place not just better than we found it, but full of the love of Christ Jesus. Perry, will you come up? I'm going to have Perry close us in a song here in just a second. If you're here today and you have never authentically surrendered your life to Jesus, I don't mean a cheap sinner's prayer. Can I say that? I, I just don't. I don't mean a cheap sinner's prayer. I mean a, a, a surrender. I, I just sat with a friend of mine and they were like, well, I'm willing to come to Jesus if. That's not the way it works. You come to Jesus as you are and you go, Lord, your will in your way, and you let him deal with the rest. If you've never authentically surrendered your life, I want to pray with you after, okay? Now, if the Holy Spirit is touching your heart and there's a need to surrender something, need to surrender and pray, don't walk out of here without it. There's another group that may be here today. Now, I'm actually going to ask Clive and Ruth They'll come up off to the side, maybe by that door. But if you have never been prayed with to be filled with the Spirit of God, remember what I said about David Paulson? Repent, believe, be baptized, be filled with the Spirit. If you have, you may be working a Christian life in your own strength, and that doesn't work very long. It just doesn't. So if you've never come to the point where you're like, you know what, I am ready to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit that he would fill my life. I'm going to ask you to step over and pray with Clive and Ruth. In fact, Clive and Ruth, would you guys step over there? These are trusted mentors and friends. They would love to pray with you. There may be another group in the room today. And guys, this is what the body of Christ is about, by the way. Just gritty, just real, doing life one beside another. 
but there's another group and you may need special prayer for something else. I'd like to ask Jack and Terry, could y'all be available maybe over here? And Tim and Jen, would y'all be available too? Just find a little spot. If you need prayer for a family member, if you're sick, prayer related to a job, Guys, that's what the body of Christ is about. And the reason I'm even doing this is because as we wake up each day and walk with him, this is what it's about. Helping people along the way. So if you've never truly surrendered your heart to Christ Jesus, I'm going to pray with you. I'll be right here. If you'd like to pray and ask that the Lord would fill you with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing weird. There's nothing. It's just part of becoming a believer. It's part of walking out this thing we call the gospel of Christ Jesus. You can go over here to Clive and Ruth. If you have another need, anything, you can come to Tim and Jen and those great Shamrock fans. Or you can go to Jack and Terry over here. Perry, will you close us in a song? Let's stand up. Let's worship together. If you want to step over and ask somebody to pray for you, please do. I'll pray and close the service as soon as Perry's done with the song.